Welcome to the BJU Press Teacher Edition Podcast, where Christian educators are encouraged and inspired as we bring you interviews, practical ideas, strategies, and answer your questions about teaching in today's culture. And here's your host, Jenny Copeland. Standardized testing takes place in the spring for most schools. Many classrooms push through them almost as a necessary evil. But how can a teacher best prepare students and then also use the results to further support students? We're going to explore those topics and more on today's episode of the Teacher Edition podcast. Thank you for joining us. The heart of the Teacher Edition podcast is to be practical, uplifting, and God-honoring. Whether you join in each week or this is your first visit, we are so glad you're joining us. We trust you will walk away with something that is a help and a blessing to you. If you haven't already, please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast and don't forget to follow us on social media. We are Teacher Edition Podcast on Facebook, and you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Teacher Edition Pod. Once again, that's Teacher Edition Pod. And just before we unpack today's topic, I want to invite you to go to our website, TeacherEditionPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to our emails. You can also submit your questions and your stories. These are really a highlight of the show. It only takes a minute to record your question or email in your story, so please do that. We look forward to receiving those and sharing them on the show. As we have questions and stories, we'll be sure to share those at the end of the episodes, so be sure to listen all the way to the end of the interviews each time. So today I'd like to unpack the topic of standardized testing or achievement tests. These tests can easily be viewed as just another check mark on the spring to-do list. And unfortunately, sometimes they're even viewed as an interruption or an inconvenience to teachers. These tests and their results can be a tremendous help to teachers and administrators. And we don't want to miss out on that potential. It's such a great tool for improving our teaching and supporting our students. Sometimes it just takes understanding a little bit more about them and how to use them. So to help us unpack this topic, we have Jeff Walton with us today. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Thanks, Jenny. I'm looking forward to the conversation and appreciate the opportunity to share with teachers. We're glad you're here. I really appreciate Jeff and his passion for education. So Jeff is currently the executive director of the American Association of Christian Schools. He holds a Bachelor of Science degree in education, a Master of Education degree, and a Doctor of Divinity degree. He has served in a variety of capacities in Christian education. He's been a teacher, a school administrator, a state association director, and a Bible college administrator. He's also active in the legislative process, seeking to secure policies and legislation to protect the ministries of Christian schools. He also has the opportunity of presenting to a variety of groups of educators every year across the country, and he's also been around the world. So one of the topics he regularly presents is in the area of standardized testing. So I'm really thankful that he's willing to be with us today. Jeff, let's start with the basics. Why do schools take a week of school, hours of instruction, to administer standardized tests? What what is the purpose of achievement tests? So a, a nationally normed achievement tests like the Iowa assessments or the Terranova assessments or the Stanford achievement tests are going to take a teacher four to six hours to administer the complete battery. That's a significant amount of class time to give up. It is. Uh, There are a number of 
school purposes and uh, individual student purposes that can, can be served by that. But here are the, the most important things. Uh, it's two questions that we have to answer as educators that norm reference achievement tests help us most to answer. The first question is, is this child or is this class reading, calculating, understanding history and science at the level of their peers across the country, uh, above the level of their peers or below the level of their peers? Uh, that's a really important question. Is this child learning the things that other kids of his age are learning? Without a measure like a standardized achievement test, then my understanding of a child's progress is only as valid as my personal experience regarding the progress and development of children. And after almost 40 years in education, I would not trust my judgment without some outside measure. So that's the first question. Is, is this child or is this class of children uh, understanding content at the level of their peers? The second question that a standardized achievement test helps to answer for us is, uh, is the, the content of the course of study at our school comparable to a representative national sample? Are we teaching kids the things that other kids this grade in a wide national sample are learning? So are we teaching them the skills, the processes, the competencies that children generally are able to do, expected to learn at this grade. Now, how do we evaluate that? Uh, how do we evaluate whether we've taught kids the things we need to teach them? You know, we could wait till they graduate and see how they do on their college board assessments or how well they do in college. And, and that's part of the measure that as school leaders we look to. But if we wait until then, we've waited way too long. We need to be able to evaluate their progress step-by-step step along the way. Uh, and uh, standardized achievement tests are the best tool that we have to be able to do that. You know, we could, if, if we don't use assessments like that, then we are trusting one of two things to understand that we've taught kids what they need to know. We're either trusting the teacher's understanding and experience. This teacher knows what kids need to learn. And We'll hope that's true of experienced teachers. You know, that ought to be true of experienced teachers. But even experienced teachers just know what's within their realm of practice. Uh, or uh, we're trusting what is contained in our textbooks, what we get from the publisher. So we're trusting that what the publisher has included in the course of study for this grade is everything that a, a child needs to know. And that's not necessarily in this place trust. So if, if we're using a publisher that has a good reputation as a quality publisher, then they've done a lot of the work in what kids should know be able to do at this grade. So it's not a misplaced trust, but as experienced educators and school leaders, we can do better than that. And, and the better than that is using very well a nationally referenced test in order to evaluate student progress. Uh, there are other things that nationally norm tests can do for us. They can help us to see progress from year to year for a student. They can help us to identify in a really broad sense the children that might have learning difficulties. Uh, they can help us to diagnose the relative strengths and weaknesses of a child or of a class 
They can help us to group students for instructional activities. There's lots of things they can do. But the primary things they do are answer those first two questions for us. Is this child learning at the level he should learn? And then as a school or a classroom, are we teaching kids the things that are commonly taught? Okay, so that's a great start. So we get these achievement tests and we have these great big books of all these questions. Sometimes they can be the strangest questions. You think, why would they ask that? So can you talk to us briefly about how achievement tests are created? Like how to how do they get to the point of what we see in those booklets? The process of test creation uh, is very involved, extensive process. I want to talk about mostly about two pieces of it that are most important to teacher understanding. Uh, the first piece that's most important to teacher understanding is how do they determine the content that is going to be assessed? And for uh, for a a test that is developed by the tried and true method, the method that's been taking place in American education for 100 years, that would include the Iowa assessments, the Terra Nova assessments, the Stanford achievement tests. Uh, those three tests particularly uh, follow this tried and true method. And to simplify that, uh, what they would do is they would, as test publishers, collect uh, sets of state standards, not necessarily from all 50 states, but but from some states with higher student population, sets of standards that have a reputation for being rigorous sets of standards. They would collect those sets of standards. They would collect um, the major themes and topics from uh, text publishers. So they would look at text publishers that are widely used, and they would map out the major themes and topics from those text publishers. And then, in a again, in a simplified sense, they're mapping all of that out, and then they're looking for the common threads. So the common threads are in multiple sets of state standards, we see this content being taught. From multiple publishers in third grade math, we see this content being taught. The common threads then become the standards for the assessment, and those are the standards to which they write test items. Uh, they'll write test items. They will test the test items to see if those test items actually test the content that they're supposed to test. Do they really assess uh, this standard? Um, and so they'll go through a big process of that, which leads to the second most significant thing for teachers to understand about standardized assessments, and that's the standardization process. So once they have determined what this new edition of the test will look like, then they have students across the country in scientific samples, not random samples, but scientific samples of students who take a portion of that assessment. So for instance, with the uh, formed E of the Iowa assessments, when they did the standardization, they used more than 200,000 students from across the country. Uh, those students came 90% from public schools and about 8% from Catholic schools and about 2% from private and religious schools. So they're, um, they're mirroring the population of students with their sample. They come from urban areas, they come from rural areas, so they very carefully structure that. And then more than 200,000 students participate in taking those assessments so that they can establish the norms. Um, what is the average score for a third grade student at the end of third grade on this assessment? 
Um, so it's a very involved process. It's a process that typically takes a, a publisher years to complete. Uh, but for teachers, the two really important things to understand are, you know, how did they decide what was going to be tested? And that was that process of mapping out state standards, textbook content, looking for the common threads. Um, for the, the tests that your public school counterparts are taking, the state standards tests, they don't go through that process. Instead, that test is created specifically to address a set of state standards. Uh, so they're not looking nationwide. They're not looking at multiple standards. They're only looking at their state standards and creating that assessment for a test that was created for the Common Core standards. Uh, they're not doing that broad process of looking at multiple sources. Uh, so when, when the American Association of Christian Schools Committee in 2014 determined what assessment we would use for our program, it was really important to us that we use an assessment that practiced that tried and true, tested method of determining what the content would be. That's great. I appreciate the insight. Sometimes just knowing where something came from really helps adjust your view of it and what went into creating it. So there's often also mystery around what exactly is going to be covered on the test. So you just kind of talked a little bit about how they came up with it, but what is it? What's actually on there? And some are shocked when they see what the students are being asked. They had no idea that they were going to be asked about that. Others are tempted to flip through the test themselves just to make sure that they've covered all the concepts that are going to be uh, tested and that the students are ready. And there's definitely an issue with getting a sneak peek. And honestly, also, there should be no surprises to teachers what should be on there. So talk with us about how teachers can understand what is going to be on the test and how they can best prepare their students and maybe somewhat piggybacking on that. Let's talk a little bit about teaching to the test. So we often hear of that scenario, maybe more often in a public education setting where they're trying to raise scores for funding or whatever it may be. But unfortunately, I don't think that that practice is completely foreign to the Christian school setting either. So to sum all that up, I guess all those questions, what can you tell us about preparing students for the test? And also, if you can touch on teaching to the test. So, Jenny, as an experienced teacher and school leader, I'm sure you know this is a real dilemma for teachers. It's, it's a genuine dilemma for them. Uh, they want to be ethical about what they do but they sometimes see kind of conflicting ideas uh, about what would be ethical. So we understand uh, as teachers that it's not fair to test a child on something I haven't taught to that child. Um, we also know that it's not ethical to teach a child the specific content that he's going to be tested on uh, maybe if it's a classroom test that I have developed or evaluating something in my classroom, but we understand that if they're taking a nationally normed test, it's, it's not ethical to uh, teach direct content from that test. My answer to this is actually going to be a little different than it would have been 15 years ago. And I'll, I'll tell you a little further into my answer why that's true. Um, the we that the, the first thing for teachers is you should know that publishers do produce some resources 
to help you understand some things about the content of the test. Uh, the, the most helpful test publisher for the resources for understanding the content is actually the Stanford Achievement Test. So I'm a little disappointed to say that because that's not the test that we use in the AECS program. Uh, Stanford produces a, uh, a, a document called a Compendium of Instructional Objectives. And the Compendium of Instructional Objectives tells teachers what those standards are. When they went through that process of comparing state standards and text content, and they identified the common threads that were going to be their standards, they put them into a book called a Compendium of Instructional Objectives. With our partnership with Iowa, one of the things that we have done is push them to do the same thing. Uh, in fact, we, our test coordinator and I just had a meeting with two vice presidents from Riverside Insights about two weeks ago, and we pushed for this again. And we said, if you really want to help teachers uh, be ethical about the way they handle your tests, then you've got to give them more help. Now, they do get them some help already in the form of what's called a content classification guide. Several years ago, we, we pushed them to produce something more helpful, and they produced what is called a supplemental content classification guide. They only produced it for ELA and math and only for grades K to 8. And they don't, um, they don't publish it in a place where you can find it. Uh, for instance, it's not in their data manager website. It's not of the Riverside Insights. Uh, we do have access to that, and it's on the AACS website for our schools to access. And so that would be for the most important disciplines, really, for standardized testing for your ELA and math for grades K to 8. That is available uh, on the AACS website, and that would be very similar to the Stanford Compendium of Instructional Objectives. So we're trying to push them to do a little more than that. But there are resources that are out there. The uh, for the Iowa, the content classification guides, the supplemental content classification guides. And it's absolutely ethical for a teacher to access uh, anything that the publisher has produced to help you understand the content of the test. So we'll start there. There are some of that. But, you know, teachers uh, struggle with more than that. So they struggle with, uh, here, here would be an illustration. First grade teacher is... Uh, going to dictate much of the test. So the first time that she ever administers that test, she's not seen the test content before, but now she's seen it. Uh, she's dictated most of it. Or the fourth grade teacher has walked around the room as its kids were taking their assessment. And she noticed that you know on the math subtest, there was a question about uh, a level of... Um, an introductory algebra concept that she hadn't introduced to her students yet. So ethically, what does she do with that? So here's the short answer, and then I'll expand on it a little bit. Uh, it is absolutely unethical to take direct content and expose your students to that direct content. That's not ethical. It's dishonest. Uh, that is teaching to the tests. The question that you ask, and that's very obviously teaching to the test. Uh, so taking direct content and making sure that kids know that, um, memorize that so that they get it right on the test, uh, it, that's wrong. Uh, another way of teaching to the test would be to narrow the scope of 
what I'm teaching in my classroom to only those things that would be tested. So if I narrow the, the breadth of learning in my classroom to only the things that are going to be on the assessment, uh, then I'm teaching to the test. And that's um, bad education if it's not unethical. So, it, you know, it's not unethical in the same sense that directly exposing them to test content would be, but it's still bad educational practice. That's actually the problem uh, that is most prevalent with public school teachers whose students have to take the state standards assessments. They have narrowed the scope of learning so much in the classroom that they're not teaching outside the breadth of what's going to be covered on that assessment. Uh, but for you know teachers in um, in our in our Christian schools, teachers who are giving norm reference achievement tests, uh, there's there's still something of a dilemma. I'll, I'll give you another illustration that will help understand this. Several years ago, when Iowa first published uh, or first made available an item analysis report for their tests, um, I struggled with something ethically. So an item analysis report will tell you for every test item, how many of your students got the answer correct, how many of your students got the answer incorrect. It will tell you how many students chose which distractor. It will give you all of that information. So you will know on, you know, on the uh, reading subtest, question number 17, uh, which was a question about reading comprehension, you know, my students... Uh, 67% of my students missed that question, and 50% of them chose Distractor D. So I, I called the uh, uh, one of the vice presidents, people in the psychometric department at, at Riverside, and I said, hey, I have, a, I have a question for you. If I'm a teacher, uh, the item analysis report only has meaning for me if I can actually look at the test item. I, the fact that you tell me it has to do with reading comprehension doesn't tell me what I need to know about that. I, I need to actually look at the test item before I understand why my students are missing this in significant numbers. And I said, so what's ethical? Is it ethical for the teacher to look at that test item? Uh, and if it's not, then what's she supposed to do with the item analysis report? It doesn't have a lot of meaning. It actually took them about three weeks to come back with an answer. Their answer was not what I expected. Uh, so here was their answer. Uh, Jeff, they said, it is ethical for the teacher to look at the test item in that case if she does that under supervision. And, and that's, a, that's a pretty significant um, concept to get a hold of. So what they're saying is it, it is ethical for a teacher to uh, look at, say, a, a group analysis report and say, there's a relative weakness for my students in reading comprehension. And then to look at the item analysis report and say, wow, my kids missed number 17 and number 25 and really big numbers. Uh, what the test publisher said was that it's okay for that teacher to sit down with the test as long as she does that in a supervised setting and say, what well, was 17 and 25? And the reason they would say it's in a supervised setting, it's, it would be this. You never want to take away from that the, the, the exact content of that item. Uh, 
But it's fine to take away from that the understanding that, oh, this was the kind of question that was asked. I'll give you another illustration and then wrap up this point. Uh, I did that kind of analysis for all 5,000 students in first grade who took the AACS, uh, uh, the Iowa test through the AACS program a couple of years ago because we saw some relatively low areas. And uh, one of the things that we learned from that analysis by going all the way back to the test item was that significant numbers of our first grade students missed an addition problem when it was presented horizontally instead of vertically. Uh, and what that tells me is there are a lot of students who have not been exposed to an addition problem written in that way. Now, is it unethical for a teacher to take away from that, oh, I, I could help my students by teaching them uh, that an arithmetic problem can be represented in two ways. It can be represented in a vertical column or in a horizontal row. It's not unethical to expose them to that new content. And by doing that item analysis, I got an understanding of that that I wouldn't have otherwise. So it's always a dilemma for teachers, and you, and you always have to be very careful to be ethical and honest. Uh, a, a big part of protecting yourself will be if you ever access the test document itself, you do that in a supervised setting. Uh, that that's a way to protect yourself from carrying away something that you should not. Uh, and then again, it's it's absolutely unethical to teach your kids any specific content. Uh, it's not wrong to understand in broad strokes what your kids will be assessed on in order to um, guide your instruction for them. Uh, are you teaching to the test then? Um, Sort of, but we always teach to the test, right? We we test what we teach. It's not fair to test what we haven't taught. And we assess in order to know if, if kids genuinely grasp that content. If they did it, we teach it again. You know, we do something to further their understanding. So I hope that's a helpful answer. Uh, as I said at the beginning, that's a little different from the answer I would have given 15 years ago. Um, but But I think it's a a pretty uh, ethical way for teachers to approach this dilemma of teaching to the test. Yeah, that's very helpful. And I appreciate the balance and the specific examples really help clarify too. So I think we have a good foundation. Now let's tackle the reports. So we know why and we know how, but if we can't use the results, what good is it to administer the test? So talk with us about reports. How do you read them? And really what can they tell us as we look at them? So I'm going to be a, a little specific to the AACS Iowa program again for a minute. And I know that that's not necessarily going to apply to everybody who's listening to this podcast. But one of the, the beauties of uh, the program with Iowa uh, and one of the most significant reasons that we selected this as a program is that schools and teachers have access to all of their data in a program called Data Manager. And in Data Manager, you can take your data and you can produce an almost limitless variety of reports that give you the information you want. I could, I could produce a report that compares the performance of the boys in my third grade class on math to the girls in my third grade class. Uh, if I used 
uh, supplemental coding when uh, they filled out their their test documents. I could compare the results of students who have been in my school less than two years to students who have been in my school more than two years. That would be great information to have. You know, is is uh, sticking with the program at our school showing significant benefits uh, for your academic learning? So there, there's a there's an almost limitless number of uh, reports that could be produced. But the three most significant reports for teachers to understand, the three that I would you know, print off first that I would study first. One would be the student profile report with skill domain. I want to know how each student did, and the skill domains tell me specifically where their strengths and weaknesses are. Uh, are there weaknesses in math comprehension or math computation? Are there weaknesses in uh, reading comprehension or the mechanics of reading? And so that that student profile with skill domains. Uh, allows me to see each student and their relative strengths and weaknesses, and then more specifically, the skills that they need work on. Uh, I would produce the same report uh, for the group. So a group profile report with skill domains for my class. So my third grade class, a group profile is going to show me the relative strengths and weaknesses for my cohort of students, my third grade students, and is also going to show me then the, the skill domains that we work on. And then the third report that I would produce is the item analysis report, because that item analysis report lets me take kind of the bigger picture that I get from skill domains uh, or from the group profile report, and I can see that the weakness for my third grade class is reading comprehension. Now with the item analysis report, I can dive deeper into that reading comprehension section and say, so what specifically was it about reading comprehension that my students struggled with? Again, a specific illustration of that for the AACS group as a whole, in fifth and sixth grade, reading comprehension is lower than it should be. That, that makes no sense to us as Christian educators, right? I mean, we're people of the book. We teach kids to read. Uh, but but we can see in middle school grades, fifth and sixth grade, that reading mechanics is strong and reading comprehension is weak. Uh, by Again, by taking that whole group of students and going into the skill domain analysis and then all the way to the item analysis, uh, we can see that our students are one of the big weaknesses for our students is inferential understanding from reading. So their reading comprehension is weak in, in things that are inferred through the text. An illustration of that would be a little story that says, you know, Stephen and his sister Susan decide to go visit their friend James, and they put on their jackets, then they go out the door, and, they, and then later on one of the questions will be, what time of year was it? Was it summer? Was it? And our students don't do a very good job of inferring that, oh, they had to put on their jackets, so it must have been a cold time of year. Uh, well, if I'm a teacher, then I've learned something. I've learned something that helps me with uh, the way I'm going to instruct my students. So those are the three reports that I think are most helpful. The individual profile with skill domains, the group profile with skill domains, and then the item analysis report uh, for diving deeper into that data. So as we wrap up this episode, we want to wrap this up with an action plan because we like to make this practical. So 
it's great to have the information and the knowledge, but unless we make it practical and make it work for us, we're missing out on the potential of impacting students. So Jeff, bring us across the finish line for this episode with some practical insights on how to use achievement test results to create improvement plans, um, both for teachers and for students. I have been in probably three or 400 schools for consulting visits or accreditation visits. And based on uh, interviews with teachers and teacher focus groups, I would say that at about 60% of schools, the tests come back, a parent report gets sent home, the student report gets put in a folder, and nothing else happens with it. Exactly. And, and that's probably about 60% of schools. And so we're missing the value of it. We're getting you know, a really broad idea about whether our kids are performing above national norms or below national norms, but we're not getting uh, specific help. So the illustration that I, that I gave to an earlier question, I think, kind of outlines this. Here would be a, a very um, simple, basic, and practical way to approach this. When as a school administrator, this is what we did with our teachers. You know, we didn't have a uh, an assessment director, you know, an assessment coordinator like you might have at a really large school or a school district. But I made sure that we completed our assessments early enough in the year to get them back before the end of the year. Now, most school leaders do the opposite. They wait as late in the year as they can because they're trying to get what they see as a little extra advantage on the test by, you know, three more weeks of instruction. So they're going to test right at the end of the window. Um, yeah, I'm telling you, it doesn't make that much difference. And you will uh, help your school program more and your help to individual students more if they'll test early enough in the year to get the results back before the end of the year. Then we would sit down in our out service days, and one of the things that was part of the schedule was two hours on an afternoon where we sat with everybody's group profile reports, and we said, what do we see? Uh, it's as easy as that. Where are the areas where our kids are strong? Where are the areas where our kids are struggling? What are we going to do about it? Uh, does that, one year, we, we identified listening skills as a really low area for our students. And so two of our teachers took some time during the summer to look for supplemental materials on listening skills. And the next year, all of our elementary teachers took one 30-minute lesson a week and taught listening skills from the supplemental materials that these teachers had identified. And then on our next year, our, our listening skills went up about 15 percentile points all the way across our elementary school. But what was interesting was other scores also went up because they were paying attention in better ways. Uh, so that's a really simple analysis. The next step of that is to, when you've done that analysis, then to do the item analysis and, and look specifically at low areas of content. Again, that's, that's, that has to be supervised. Don't ever sit in your classroom with the student book and leaf through it. Uh, but if you've done the item analysis and you know specifically what things you need to look for because they're weaknesses for your students, uh, then, then it is ethical to take a look at that enough to get a better understanding of that uh, and 
um, target specific kinds of instruction or learning that your students need. So with the timing of the testing, which is often in the craziness of the spring semester, and then with the results often coming back right at the end of the school year or during the summer, and because of a general lack of understanding about the tests, we just don't often tap into the incredible potential of achievement tests. And Jeff, what you have shared has really helped to clarify what the tests are, where they came from, what's on, how we can figure out what's on a test ethically, and then to give us a doable plan for preparing students and then also for using those results for better preparing the students for the next phase of their learning. So thank you for breaking that down so well and for giving us of your time today because that was just so helpful. Before we wrap up, we do have a question that's come in and I'd love to share that and then we could wrap up with that discussion if that's okay with you. So the question is, Part of our admission process is a requirement of the student submitting report cards and achievement test scores. More and more frequently, we are noting significant inconsistencies in the report card scores and the achievement test scores, typically high report card scores and low achievement test scores. How do you recommend we proceed with these types of transcripts, especially in light of class placement? So I think that's a great question. Jeff, before I share a few thoughts that came to my mind as I read that, What's your take on this? What would you suggest? So I think it's a great question, and I wish I had a great answer. But uh, I've got something that I think might be helpful. Great inflation is very real. Uh, it's reported in numerous national studies, and it's been reported for a long time. You can't fix that outside your school. Uh, you can fix it in your school. You can fix it in your class, or you can work hard to fix it. You can't fix it outside your school. Uh, so what are you going to do about it when you see that gap between what the standardized test tells you and what the child's report card tells you? Uh, what you're going to do depends entirely on your school's philosophy. You know, how exclusive can you be or do you want to be? Uh, what's the capacity of your teachers or your school to provide resources to help students catch up? If you see a really big gap between achievement test scores and the child's grades, uh, you could say, you know, we're going to have to place you in fifth grade instead of seventh grade because of this gap that we see. But that, you know, may mean that those parents decide not to enroll their child in your school. Do you want to be that exclusive? If you enroll the child in seventh grade, uh, can you support the teacher in helping that student to catch up? Uh, the most common addition to school staffs today is a resource teacher. Uh, many, many, many Christian schools are adding resource teachers. They're adding resource teachers because of higher rates of students that have learning disabilities, but they're also adding resources teachers because they're bringing in students who are not up to speed academically. And so do you have the capacity to support that student uh, if you bring them in at grade level, even though their their achievement test uh, tells you something different. And then if underperforming students are stretching the resources of your school, you're either going to have to add support for the teachers or you're going to have to do a better job of screening those who don't have the ability to benefit from your program. And uh, one approach to that is to uh, administer your own standard entrance assessment. So don't just take what you got from the other school, but administer your own standardized entrance assessments 
and then recommend a lower grade placement for any student who does not score below a certain number that you established. When I was a school leader, it was 20% tile points. Uh, here's the average for our seventh grade class. If you're coming in more than 20 percentile points below that, I'm going to recommend you for going back at a grade in your placement. Um, when parents see that kind of data and they understand that there's at least a, a reasonable standard for how you're going to make that decision, uh, they're, they're a lot more willing to accept that. And if you have administered your own assessment and you can tell parents, listen, our seventh graders are averaging at the 83rd percentile on the complete battery, and your child is coming in at the 37th percentile, she's not going to make it. Uh, then they're much more willing to accept a lower grade placement. So I hope that's a helpful answer. Um, you know, there, I, I don't know that that's a great answer to a great question, but I hope it's helpful. Oh, absolutely. No, I think you covered it so well. I completely agree. And you really weird exactly what I was going to say. I just, it is true that achievement test scores can be affected by some, you know, like testing environment or long hours or whatever, but those report card scores can just vary so much. And it's just so good to generally talk with the parents, you know, when you see that difference between them and try to get more information. I found some parents have been so helpful of, well, this is what happened on those testing days, or this is how the school year went and try to work through some of that you know, if they struggled terribly in school or if they struggled terribly on the test, just any background even can be very helpful in wading through that difference in the test scores there and maybe even retesting them. I loved your idea of the school administering their own. And I know some schools who have come up completely with their own entrance tests as they know where those students need to score. And just like you mentioned, I think some parents celebrate when they see their child is at the 50th percentile or above because that means great, they're better than the middle of the road, right? But that's not necessarily the case. Like you mentioned, you know, if the school knows that their students typically score in the 80th percentile and this student's coming in at the 60th, you know they're going to struggle. So just, again, working through the differences in the scores and the report cards there. And if you have those great A pluses on the report card and then a struggling test, I think you really do need to have some, some in-depth conversations and really look at how, how you can support that student, likely holding them back. I know as an administrator, I recommended retention for so many families, a really, really high percentage. And I'm not aware of any that have come back and said that was the worst decision we ever made. They realized it was so much better to put them on a track for success than always running a little bit behind. So to just assume, well, they have all A pluses in their report card, they must be good to go is definitely not going to be a great path to follow, especially for looking at those achievement test scores being so low. So I, just like you, relying on those achievement test scores but also communicating with the parents, retesting as needed, remediation, as you mentioned. Class placement was is such a careful process. And to me, it was, I wouldn't say stressful, but it was one I, I just relied so heavily on the Lord, give me wisdom on this because you want to set that student up for success. So I appreciate what you brought to that conversation and the answer that you gave was so thoughtful. Did you have any additional thoughts you wanted to add? But just that when a child is changing schools, that's the ideal time to do a retention Absolutely. if you're going to do one. It's going yes. to be much harder next year. You know, so when he's changing schools, it, that's the, the best possible time to uh, make a decision about retention. The other thought I had related to that is uh, what I experienced as a school administrator and what I hear most from school administrators 
is the difference between um, report card grades and achievement test scores for students who have been homeschooled. Uh, even, even more than students coming from other schools, you see that significant gap uh, often for students who've been homeschooled. Uh, school administrators over and again tell me for transfer students to their school, kids who come in from homeschool either come in at the 25%, the, the top 25% of their student body or the bottom 25%. And there's seldom anybody in the middle of that. Parents have done an outstanding job and they come in really well prepared or they have not done a good job and they come in very ill-prepared. And it's often with that lower group uh, that you have uh, low achievement test scores, but uh, but high grade card scores. And so that's another uh, place where uh, students, uh, where, where school administrators see a real difference there. Yeah. Your, your thoughts there about it being the time to retain a student when you're changing schools, that, that's so important too. And Sometimes it's just a difference in the program. I know I've talked with some families and they have really low achievement test scores coming in and they had been homeschooled or I've been in another Christian school, maybe even a public school too, looking at the difference and talking with them. And there's that sense of we failed. We failed our student. You know, if this is really the case, we're coming in and it, they really are low. We thought they were an A student. And now we see when we look at this other senior, they really are low. And we've been a failure as a parent in homeschooling or we failed in putting them in this other school and now bringing them here. And I've had the conversation with so many of them. It's kind of the way I view it in my mind. I'm, pictures help me. And when I think, you know, I go into a shoe store, say I go into Walmart and I look at shoes and maybe I'm a six. So when I go into Target, I'm a five and a half. There's nothing, my foot didn't change. You know, it's just two very different stores, two very different ways that they measure their shoes. Maybe they should be closer, but nonetheless, I wear different. And it's not that you've been a failure. There's something wrong with you. It's just you're coming into a different setting and our expectations at our school are different and what may have been great there. We just have a different expectation, a different standard, and we want your child to succeed in this environment. So even having that conversation with them of that's why we do these types of tests. So we know right where we can fit you in and help you be successful. So those are all really great thoughts. And I love that, especially about setting them up for success and using those tests to do that, even if it means retention. Retention isn't the end of the world. We could do a whole other session on that because you can talk about, you know, the panic of that when you mention that word sometimes with families, but how much I appreciate those who do see, you know, I just need to do what's best for my child. And we obviously know that achievement tests play a big part in that. So excellent. Jeff, thank you again for your time. Thank you for your insights and your thoughts. And we just really appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you for the invitation. And I enjoyed the conversation. As did I. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you were challenged and encouraged as I was. Remember to go to teacheredishonpodcast.com to submit your questions for upcoming episodes. Of course, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media. Now, it's time to get back to your day. But it's not just any day. Because every day in the classroom is your day to impact and inspire through God's power and His grace working in you. So go do what God has called you to do.